Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. You know, as I say this all the time, um, kids who are in the foster care system have it so much harder than what my kids have. And why I say that is that I know that only 54% of kids in foster care will actually graduate from high school, that only 11% will fill out a college application, and that only 3% get a four-year degree. Well, my friend Laura, she even did better than that. So Laura, welcome to Fostering Change. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So Laura, I'd like to start with your story. Like you actually were in the foster care system. And do you mind if we ask how and why? Yeah, so I I grew up in Northern New Jersey in the part of New Jersey that thinks it's New York. And I was in the Bergen County foster care system. Uh, I was removed from my parents at age eight and a half. I was in third grade. And then I was placed into 13 different homes in the span of about two years before being reunified. Uh, my parents were getting divorced, and my mom also kind of suffered from depression and another uh, several mental health issues and was kind of addicted to narcotics, unfortunately. And so because of that and then their their divorce and the things that they were saying about each other, they were deemed unfit to be parents at the time, and we were removed from the home until they could get rehabilitated and be able to reunify us. So um, let me tell you, um, fail of the system um, again. 13 homes that you went through, Um, it's unacceptable. You know, I say this quite often, and I get a lot of slack from it, is that foster care is not the answer. It doesn't work, okay? It is a shattered system that makes money on the backs of children. And that's exactly what your story was. So here you had a mother um, who was suffering from mental illness, who was drug addicted. Um, Was your father also suffering from those exact same things? No, but he was working full time. And so it was kind of my mom was watching us while my dad was at work all day. We were in a one income household and people were concerned about his ability to be able to watch us while also being in the presence of my mom. Okay, so 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 your parents are deciding to divorce, and here you have a stable dad who, by the way, is holding a job down, providing for his child. You have siblings. Yes, I have a younger brother. A younger brother. Were you split up? Yes. Split up. Here you are. You know, you've got this dad who's working in a in a system that comes in and says he's not fit. And this is the thing that I always, I I don't understand. I don't understand why we do not do more to keep the family intact. So for an example, in your parents' situation, remove the perpetrator. Your mother had to leave. Um, That doesn't mean your dad has to quit his job. I mean, there is a thing called daycare. Um, It's for some reason, we have no problem with using daycare all the time. So that could have happened. Number two, we could have given your father enough of maybe an extra little bit of income because if we're able to pay foster parents, I don't know why we can't give that extra income that would have helped your dad 
A for daycare, okay? Um, put your mother in a treatment facility place to be able to have the contact with all of you, um, or maybe even bring somebody into the home. Um, I'm assuming you had relatives. Well, it's actually interesting that you talk about bringing someone into the home. So we were court ordered to have I guess it was like a court-sponsored nanny in the home, but she wasn't actually, like, we didn't pick her, and so she came in, and she would take notes, and at one point, she hit my brother, and so that was actually what led us to getting removed, is because she hit my brother, and my father refused to allow this woman back into the home, and so for violating that court order, that was ultimately one of the, the main reasons why, at that specific time, we were removed. Wow. So. so your brother was, how old was he, six? Four. Four years old. Four years old. You know, the damage that was done for those years that you went into the system is some of it is irreversible. You know, I, I am, my life is an open book and I have a son who the damage that he received prior to coming to live with my husband and I, um, we are now experiencing that. And it's been, you know, he's now 14. And, you know, and this happened to him when he was one and two and three. And, you know, but you decided that you weren't going to be, you know, the statistic. And so you get reunified with your mother. Now, did you get reunified with your mother or your father or did they get back together? How? They ended up staying together, mostly for financial reasons. Yeah. Are, are they still together? Uh, my mom, unfortunately, passed away last year. I I'm so sorry for that. I'm, I'm so sorry for that. How old's your brother? He is now 22, about to turn 20. How's he doing? The abuse that he went through in his foster homes, um, he was force-fed. Uh, he watched his foster parents have sex in front of him. But at the time, he was so young that he didn't understand it. But as he's grown up, he basically has PTSD that comes in waves because as he matures and puts two and two together, that kind of, that shock overwhelms him. And he now actually he just transferred he's going to Northwestern University where he is studying he's pre-med and so I think he's bio and chemistry um but for years again he was far worse than me he was in different schools his behavior and his his anger and his his PTSD and everything and we had a very strange relationship and it wasn't until let's say within the last year or two that we started to really build a a true sibling relationship and I kind of joke because it feels like we're almost like dating um, and we like, you know, we, we go out together and we're like, so what do you like to do? What's your favorite color? And it's just that like awkward, we have the same story, uh, but very different perceptions of it and just the different obstacles that we've had in our own lives and then kind of living parallel to each other. It's been really difficult to really foster that relationship with him and have like a true sibling connection, but we're working on it. You know, this is exactly why I do the show. You know, I, I literally am sitting here with goosebumps because I, I know the pain that your brother has gone through. I know the pain that even you have gone through. Um, and it's not acceptable because as I remind people, and as you listen to this show or you're watching it on our YouTube channel, children come into foster care because of choices other people made. Other people made. And there could have been something that could have been done a lot better than having you removed from your birth parent. I don't care. You know, I, I have five children and two of my kids who came into the system because of neglect, 
um, my other children came into the system because of abuse. And I do believe that when there is abuse, children must be removed. But two of my children, you know, who, by the way, I love my babies to death. They're 17 and 14. They should have never been removed from their mother. Simple as that. You know, we as a community should have gone in and done what communities were meant to do, which is to lift them up. See, I guarantee you that within your community, probably nobody knew what was going on. So where were your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents? Um, so my grandparents had all passed away by the time I was born, unfortunately. Previously, New Jersey had a rule. I think they've actually amended it since I was in the system. But basically, you couldn't be placed with out-of-state relatives because of jurisdictional issues and dealing with court and stuff. And so I didn't have a lot of family. All my family lives in Maryland and Florida. And unfortunately, I mean, I was in foster care, so my parents weren't the best parents in the world. Do I think I should have been taken away from them? No. But I also think it's kind of representative of the fact that I don't really have a close relationship with my extended family because of how they showed up. I'm also, at the same time that I'm rekindling my relationship with my brother, I'm actually in the process, too, of getting to know my cousins, my first cousins and their kids who are actually closer in age to me than I am to my first cousins. So starting to reach out to them. That's what I did during quarantine was I reached out to them and I said, hey, uh, we're related. So, you know, it's been an adventure. But yeah, I, I think that the foster care system really was kind of lazy. I think that's a pretty good word for it of trying to make those connections to family who had they known. I'm sure would have stepped in or would have done something then let us fall to the wayside. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right, fall to the wayside. And you're right, lazy. You know, it is a system that we do not fund properly and the funds that they do receive are not used in the way they should be used. Simple as that. It is a shattered system. And as I say it, when something is shattered, we have to rebuild it. We have to rebuild it. And this system must be rebuilt. You know, as I hear your story, I know people are listening and they're thinking, oh, this is made up or how can this be? Guys, I'm telling you, this is true. This is happening today. This is happening yesterday. This will happen tomorrow if we don't do something about it. And I think that's exactly what my friend Laura, we're going to talk about next. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. This is such an interesting conversation. You know, when you actually hear someone, 13 homes, I want you to just think about that. Think about that as we take this break. 13 homes in two years. So imagine that you have to pack your belongings 13 times in a matter of 20 four months. Think about it. We'll be right back. Well, we've made it to the end of 2021. For many, 2022 couldn't have come any sooner. This is just a quick reminder that it's not too late to make a donation to Comfort Cases before the tax year comes to an end. In this season of giving, we know many need your support. But if you choose to donate to Comfort Cases, you will be supporting youth in foster care and the organization that works so hard to make sure we're providing Comfort Cases and Comfort XLs to children who are entering our foster care system. You have to understand that 100% of your donation is tax deductible, and we would really, really appreciate it for you to help us make a difference. 
Thanks again for being a great human and happy new year. You know, normally when I come back from a commercial break, I um, have a little bit of energy in me and a little bit of excitement. And instead, I couldn't stop thinking about what I told all of you to think about. 13 homes, you know, being separated from your sibling, you know, not understanding. And by the way, there is no understanding because no one tells you anything. You know, one day you're lying in a bed in a room that you think is yours. And then the next day, the social worker knocks on the door and moves you again and again and again and again. You know, I understand about choices in life. I understand that we all have a choice. I say it quite often. You have the choice to give up, to give up. We see it every day in our system. We see kids who can't take 13 homes, missing their family, not understanding why them. We can give in, give in and do exactly what our community wants. Go to prison. See, that's what this is. The system is a pipeline to our prison system. And it truly is. When you look at the statistics of the number of people that sit in prison cells that were actually in foster care, we have done nothing, but we have graduated them from the system to the penitentiary. But you know, my friend Laura, she decided to do something about it. Not only did she graduate from high school after, by the way, I will remind you, being moved 13 times within two years. She then graduated from Georgetown University Law Center. Wow. I could not be more proud of you if I was your own father, my friend. Okay. What made you get that grit? And I believe that we have that grit because as I said, you give up, you give in, or you do what you did and that's give it all you got. Why and how? Yeah, so I grew up watching Forensic Files and I decided that I was going to be a criminologist one day. This was in like third grade. And that was roughly around the time that I realized I was terrible at math and science. And if I wanted to be a scientist, I would need to do math and science for the rest of my life. And that, that wasn't happening. Um, so then in fourth grade or end of third grade into fourth grade, I was in foster care and I was in court all the time. And I, I was, I loved the, the papers and it's funny because now that I'm a lawyer um, and I see all these papers, I hate the papers. Um, there's so many papers, um, but growing up, I loved the briefcases full of stacks and I just wanted to read them all. So I was in court and then I saw the movie Legally Blonde and I realized that I could be a criminologist and do the, you know, the science and the murders but not have to do the math and the math aspect. I'm going to put two and two together and saw that Elle Woods in court every day was very similar to me. And so she's kind of a role model. And I told my social worker, I was like, I'm going to be a lawyer one day. And in the backseat of her car and she, she had her coworker with her and they looked at each other and they're like, uh, we don't think so. Like you, you've been through way too much. And uh, I was, I've always been kind of defiant. That was a pre-foster care thing, but I, I crossed my arms and I said, I can do it. Just watch me. And as I've, I've grown up, the, this idea of being a lawyer at, at one time was just, I wanted to be Elle Woods and I liked the courtroom. But as I've grown up 
and matured into myself and understanding how the world works, I realized that I think the law can be a really useful tool to advocate for change overall, but to advocate for children in a way that if we want large scale policies to be changed, I think the, the legal system is the way to do that. And I decided I wanted to be a lawyer very early on. And I went to college where I studied, I went to Syracuse University where I studied political science. And while I was there, I learned about the school to prison pipeline and how it mirrors the foster care to prison pipeline. And that drove me insane because I understand exactly what's going on in foster care and why foster children end up the way they do. And unfortunately it's unsurprising, but why are children who are at school with their parents and, and have a place to stay every night, why are they ending up with the same results? So after I graduated college, I was a Teach for America Corps member in Washington, DC. That's how I came down to the area. And I taught preschool and kindergarten. And I very quickly realized what was wrong in schools. And then I wanted to go to law school because that's always been the goal and wanted to continue my studying and understanding the school and the foster care to prison pipelines and how I could use my legal career to dedicate myself to changing both of those statistics. Wow. I mean, wow. That is so unbelievable. So not only being in the system and they try to shatter you, by the way, you then became a teacher, which by the way, those who know me know I love teachers. Um, teachers are the gateway of our success. But then you said, you know what? I see the problem. And I'm not going to sit here and continue to blame the system. I'm going to get in it and try to change the system. That's exactly what you did. You, you, you went in and said, I'm not going to blame it. I'm going to try to change it. And that's exactly what you're doing. The whole prison pipeline, foster care to prison. I don't think people um, know how bad it is, Laura. Can you, can you give us some statistics so our, our listeners and viewers can truly understand when we talk about this pipeline? Yeah, so I believe the statistics are for each foster care placement, it increases by 10% your likelihood of ending up in prison. Um, 57% of students, I believe, are uh, former foster children are more likely to be suspended three or more times. They're more likely, I don't have numbers, but are more likely to be academically behind, are more likely to be, um, are more likely to need IEPs. And even more frightening than that, they're more likely to need IEPs and not be able to get their IEPs. And so you see this relationship of the foster care system, which is traumatizing in and of itself, where children are being removed from their homes, being removed from their families, being moved from foster home to foster home, not having any consistency. When they're coming into the classroom, when I was in foster care, I, in fourth grade, I, uh, they lost my records. And this is before they were computerized or computerized in the way that they are now. And I missed a month and a half of fourth grade. And it's funny, and I joke about this because when I came back, I missed the pivotal time of year in fourth grade where you learn how to multiply like uh, two-digit two numbers. So like 48 times 12 kind of, you know, big numbers. And I missed this lesson and I was so behind. And fortunately, one of my classmates called it out but I didn't know how to multiply 48 times 12 quickly, but I did know that multiplication is like addition. So I wrote 48 12 times on my paper and then tried to add it up. And that's when the teacher and the student kind of intervened, but just those environments of being academically behind, not being able to even call out. I didn't know that I didn't know multiplication. I was too afraid. I was the new kid. I didn't want the teacher to know that I didn't know stuff. And so it's just frustration and inability to build relationships. That was another thing. Um, 
I was fine academically, but then my relationships with authority and teachers and people telling you what to do, you learn very quickly. And I'm sure you're well aware that foster care is an every man for himself world. And you have to make decisions that are in your best interest. And even though you, you know, you're nine, 10 years old, you need to make the decisions that you feel are best for you because you might be placed in a home that you don't like. And a lot of the times, the reasons that I was removed from homes was because I didn't like the families. Um, I had a family who fed me leftovers every day. So they would have a, a warm steak for dinner. And then the next day I would get that steak and they would have pasta the next night and I would get the leftover pasta. And that, that takes a toll on you and your ability to make those connections and trust adults. And then you go into a, a school where you're supposed to trust these people, but why would you, especially when your entire outside life is told to distrust everyone? You're right. You know, it's me not knowing the difference between there, there, and there. Yeah. I couldn't get caught up. I couldn't learn faster. And I see it today with kids and that we label them so the government will pay more money, but we're not giving them the services that they need. You know, you know, I think about my son, Alex, he's 20 years old. He's a sophomore in college. He graduated from high school with a 3.6. And by the way, like you, the system, the system. And it's taken him several years to trust his dad and I, to know that we are going to be there for him. And he's been able to thrive and, and do so well. But I think about all the other thousands and thousands of children who don't have parents like us, or the grit that you have, what can we do? What can we do within our communities to empower these youths? Well, something that's really important to me is uh, mentorship. I think mentoring is so important. Um, you know, there was a time when people didn't think I was going to get through high school and nonetheless get through college. And my teachers were the ones I had my vice principal sit my parents down and say, you know, like, she's great academics, but like college, she doesn't have the emotional support. And instead of connecting me with people to see that emotional support, I didn't have that. So my kind of outlet and was a community service. And through volunteering, I got to put my story to the sideline. It didn't matter that I was in foster care. I didn't have that label. I didn't have that stigma, but I could go and find a problem in the community and I could fix it. And I could sign up for different events and I could create a platform and I had a voice and my story didn't matter. And it got to, I got to see that I could help people. And no matter how old you are, serving others, you can do it. And as you get older, that can become more nuanced. But I think community service was a really helpful outlet. And then through community service, finding those relationships, finding those adults, finding those mentors who just liked me as Laura and didn't know that I was in foster care, eventually that would come out. But just having an adult who was doing great things, who had a career, who served others all the time and getting those necessary characteristics and leadership traits that I definitely didn't get in foster care and was struggling to find that trust in, in a school setting. And so for me, after having come out of the system, I don't directly mentor foster children, but when I was in DC, I was mentoring several students at the Nationals Youth Baseball Academy. Um, so I watched uh, several boys grow up and I worked with them. And sometimes we'd, we'd actually talk about things and other days we just wanted to play ball. And that's really important too, is understanding that one, children have thoughts and needs that should be heard and a kid's opinion matters. I think it's so important to let them have their voice heard and their needs respected and not always prying and having a deep conversation at every moment. Sometimes the best way to build a relationship is say, you don't want to talk to me today. Fine. Let's play catch. Um, so doing that, I was also a girls on the run coach 
And while Girls on the Run isn't specifically targeted towards a certain sect of young women, it's a great opportunity to mentor through the power of running. And so we would train these girls to run a 5K, their very first 5K. And then we'd also do character development. And again, it was a great opportunity for them to be led by young adult leaders, but also to build a community amongst each other. I love it. And I do agree with you. Mentoring. You know, I say this quite often. Each and every one of us have the same exact thing, the exact same thing that we are so rich about. And that's time. And that's time. You know, maybe you don't have the money to donate. Maybe you're not able to foster. Maybe you're not able to adopt. But each and every one of us have time. And if we took that time and invested in a child, a child who, by the way, we should be investing in because that child is our future. What a difference the world would make. You know, Laura, you have been absolutely amazing. You have been such the light that I needed today, you know, to hear your story, to hear how far you've come and how far I know you will be. You know, when I look in your eyes on the screen, my heart smiles and I'll tell you why. Because I see my future. And my future is so bright because you're in it and because you are going to bring about change. Listen, I tell you all, we're doers and doers make the world go round. So get out there and do. Take care, everybody. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, ComfortCases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.